Thank you so much, Eric. Greetings in Jesus' name to you tonight. Thank you for being here as we look at closing out a series where I began to propose to you that uh, your life in honoring Jesus and becoming more like him and your path to uh, growing and receiving joy in your life and seeing the Lord's blessing in your life, that that path uh, may go in the opposite direction of what you uh, would prefer it to go. And in other words, it goes in a direction of humiliation, uh, not in the, in the direction of uh, comfort or security or uh, being aware or being in control of things that are happening. We have one final night yet tonight, and my goal is to try to, to tie some things together. We've, we've kind of, at least it feels like this to me, we've kind of come at some things from different directions, and we're going to try to have to tie those things together and uh, see if we can bring some, some conclusion to it. And of course, all the while, the, the important task we have is to be responsive. I so appreciate the prayers that were offered up front here for me, but uh, in the room back there too, uh, to be responsive to what uh, God is doing and not just to hear it in our ears and let it go out, but to respond uh, to those things. In some sense tonight, I think we are again taking a uh, sort of what I would say a step back. So uh, if I were to visualize or paint sort of the overarching pathway we've been on since Sunday morning, we laid some groundwork for why we should consider humility as this all-important thing, this defining characteristic of us as God's creatures and us as sinners before a holy God and us as redeemed saints of God. By the way, if I can slip in one more, if you need additional proof still that even as redeemed saints of Jesus Christ, we are still called for humility, I point you to Revelation where it is very clear that even when you arrive in heaven, you will take your crowns off and hand them down in the feet of Jesus and say, it is all because of you. So let's get rid of the idea that somehow uh, humility will no longer be needed. It'll be our joy to cast our crowns before him. Anyway, I divert myself here. An overarching path here would be to have laid that foundation and then take a careful look at Jesus and his humility for he is the target. It's the verse we've been brought to over and over again. He is the, he is the goal. He's the, have this mind among yourselves. We're going to read those words in just a little bit. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So that sort of sets the target here. And then we backed away from that and said, if that's true, what has to change in my life? And I presented this picture of what it looks like for us to have humility in our daily life which raises the bar really high. So last night we took a step back from that a little bit and said, well, to get there, to serve one another as we ought to in humility and to love one another as we ought to in humility and to honor one another as we ought to in humility and to submit to one another as we ought to in humility and to forgive one another as we ought to in humility, it really requires what I would call true holiness inside of here. Not an outward, from the outside in, I'm working it up in myself kind of thing, but an inward what is God's spirit really done inside of me to make me want to be like this? And tonight I think we're going to have to take a step back at and say, well, what's the key to getting to that place of true holiness? I, I told you last night I would have loved to preach tonight's sermon yet at the end of last night because I feel so strongly that they go together. It kind of left you hanging with, well, this is where we're going to go, but we're not there yet. So I'm glad that you're here tonight, and I'm glad that... Uh, we're going to get to finish the Lord and His grace allowing us to finish to having this conversation. So, without further ado, because we have lots of ground to cover, and by the way, we'd love tonight uh, to have a communion together. I have been uh, just 
Sincerely looking forward to, thank you, Irvin. I've been sincerely looking forward to having communion with a church family here ever since we've been gone for three months. And, I, and, and it sinks in. You know, one of, the, one of the, you see, I do it again. I just start talking about other stuff. But one of the, one of the things that, among many things, one of the things I realized when we were gone for three months was uh, how, how precious the church family is. How precious the church family is. A, a group of people that you belong to and that know you and you know them and, and you can come and have ongoing action and ongoing interaction with. We missed that. I missed that when we were gone. I was reminded of the importance for everybody who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ to have a local church family that they're part of. So I've been looking forward to communion and tonight we're planning on participating in communion and also foot washing which I think is perfect. If we're going to talk about humility all, all week long, foot washing makes perfect sense. We'll get to that at the very end. So again, I can't uh, delay any longer. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to, uh, to jump in and uh, see what the Lord has for us tonight. We're going to read these same verses you've been hearing. I hope you're not tired of hearing God's word. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, let each of you Individually, as you make up a collective body, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Help us, Father, tonight to, to uh, finish or conclude what we've started in these messages. But as has already been prayed, help us tonight to lay a groundwork for further things you want to do in us down the road. This is not the end in that regard. Faithfully guide us by your Holy Spirit according to your word, God. Thank you. We give you praise and glory. We honor you. We love you. We desire nothing more than to have you fill us to the very brim, that you may be everything, that we may be nothing. We want that, God. We praise you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I entitled my message tonight, the subtitle, I should say, is Dead to Self, Alive in Christ. And this I'm proposing to you, just going to give away the point of where the sermon's going to head. This I propose to you is, in fact, the key at the end of the search for humility, we're going to come to this phrase, dying to yourself. I could have told you that on Sunday morning already. Maybe I, already, I did, in fact. I don't remember everything I say. Uh, but at the end of the, the search for humility or the drive for humility, we're going to come to this idea or this phrase of dying to self. I, was, uh, I initially, as I had laid out things, I had simply that title, dying to self or death to self. 
And then I realized as I prepared for this message that that's not enough. Because Scripture is very clear that everything we are talking about, everything we are talking about in terms of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit and honoring God from the inside out, all those things, everything we're talking about is, is phrased in this kind of language all through the New Testament that it is done in Christ Jesus. It is done in Christ Jesus. So it is not enough to simply die to self because we don't want to stop there. We also then want to be alive in Christ. That's the pattern laid out for us in Scripture. We die to ourselves and we are made alive in Jesus Christ. Now maybe you could say those just go together. I don't know, and I'm not going to make a, a, a point about this, or I'm not going to stand on this and, 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 and dispute with anyone about this. I find it interesting that Jesus found it important to at some point say, when uh, your, your house gets cleared of, of anything it shouldn't have in it, it's swept clean. Remember this example, it's swept clean. If that happens and nothing else happens, then the return of those unclean spirits will come back and, and, will, and will be worse than you were before. It indicates to me that you can make some effort at dying to yourself and not fill yourself with Jesus Christ. So, the end of humility, I believe, we're going to find this phrase, dying to ourselves and being made alive, alive in Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to go tonight. I'd like to examine, just lay out a pattern for us. It's from the verses we just read, so I want you to just observe it so we can, we, can, we can work from this pattern. Scripture says here in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus was, after he was being found in human form, he'd emptied himself, was being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself to the point of becoming obedient to the point of death. We've already covered these things. We talked about it Sunday night, so that's not news to anyone. The very next verse, however, follows up with this. Do you know what it says? Therefore, because of what Jesus did, he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became this, this uh, meek, lowly lamb of God, obedient to his father in every way, submitted his will to his father. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. This is the pattern that Jesus laid out for us to follow. There's a wonderful phrase in the book of Hebrews that calls Jesus the captain of our salvation, the leader of our salvation, and by those words indicates to us that the path that Jesus took is the path that we take. Jesus didn't walk this path so that we could go around some other way. After all, he himself looked at his followers and his followers that come down through the ages, including us, and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And included in that must certainly be the path he walked on. This is really clear in Scripture. For example, as we examine this interplay between humility and exaltation, that's what we just read about. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Humility and exaltation. As we examine that, it's very clear. By the way, you read out of James tonight, Eric. I haven't brought a single reference from the book of James in this entire series, which I could have done earlier, but I didn't. I, I focused a lot on the church letters because they were spoken to a group of believers. But James has lots to say about this. In James chapter 4, verse 6, he listens to what he says. He says, it says this in the word of God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he just follows it up a couple verses later, just saying it explicitly, what I just talked about, the pattern that Jesus set. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. If you want to bring in even a broader reference, since I also did not give you a single reference to my knowledge, from Peter, 
Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Humility, exaltation. Humility, exaltation. It's the path Jesus walked on. It's the path he asked us to walk on. It's what we've been talking about all week. We've, we're now kind of putting some final pieces on. Humility, exaltation. The promise is there in Scripture that if you will humble yourself before the Lord, if you will make yourself humble before Him and empty yourself and lower yourself and submit and, and subdue your will before Him. Those are all humility words. If, if you do that, then God will take care of the exaltation. Let me pause for a moment, though, because I think a really important question has to be asked. What does it mean for God to exalt us? What does it mean for God to hold his end of the bargain, so to speak? In other words, if, if I'm telling you, if you will humble yourself, God will exalt you. What does that mean? Because if I'm encouraging, exhorting, which I'm going to do, by the way, exhorting you that you should humble yourself before the Lord, I'm saying that on the basis that God will do his part with the exaltation. So what does that mean? What does it mean for that? You see, that's a really important question. And to be honest, one that I don't know that I've ever really thought about until I was preparing for these messages. To my discredit, I would say now. <laughs> what does it mean when God is going to exalt us? You know, in, in, in years past, I, I did a lot of running and I ran competitively. And you train really hard and you do all kinds of things and you want the prizes at the end. You want trophies, you get medals, you get championships, you get plaques, you get whatever, all kinds of other stuff. So the, the, the reward, the exaltation for difficult work, in many ways, were tangible things, were recognition. My wife was just making fun of me uh, the other week because, well, I don't know, she, she's, she's nice like that. She didn't make fun of me. My brother-in-law, Eric, was making fun of me, though. <laughs> for these pictures that are hanging at the school I went to for the accolades that we won. Because I... <laughs> See, it's true. He's making fun of me still. It's okay. If you're ever at Westview, you can go look. It's, I, I look a little dorky. It's okay. <laughs> he could text you a picture. This is good. But what does it mean when God is going to exalt you? Because I think it's actually really, really critical that we answer that question. Because I suspect that many of us have the wrong kinds of things in mind. I would ask you to consider how can God's exaltation be anything different than an impartation of himself? Let me say that again. How can God's exaltation be any different than an impartation of himself? How could he give anything as some kind of reward, if you want to use that language, other than giving the best that there is? And the best that there is, is him. In other words, I'm trying to connect together that when we read these wonderful promises in which I read one to you last night, I, mean, I read a verse to you last night that said, in light of these promises that God is making, that if you will humble yourself and separate yourself, he will come and dwell in you, there it is right there. He will come and dwell in you. So in light of that promise, make every effort to complete holiness in the fear of God. That's a little bit of a paraphrase of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 
In other words, when God is going to do the exalting side of the things, it should be understood that that is nothing less than him giving more of himself to us. For that is the, that is the, the best and greatest way that he could provide any kind of exaltation. That you get to carry around in this body more of the most high God himself. That we think any other thing, by the way, is only indicative, I'm afraid, of the pride that lurks inside of our hearts. That we think exaltation may have anything to do with reputation or accolades or status in the community or riches or any other thing that comes along with that. Now, God at his choosing can do any of those things. That's up to him. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we should go into this knowing that if we will humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt us, but that exaltation, get rid of all the other stuff you want to put on your shelf, that exaltation is that we might know Jesus. I think Paul said exactly those words in Philippians chapter 3, that we might know more of Jesus and have more of Jesus. I submit to you again, what could God possibly offer to us that's better than himself? And if we think any different, I think I have unfortunate news for you. You will not enjoy eternity very much if you're in heaven, if you think any different. I'm trying to make some things connected for us. You know, way back in the Old Testament, you know that time before we actually had the gospel and knew what the gospel was? Way back in the Old Testament, Isaiah said something funny like this or interesting like this. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Right there, long before Jesus was on the scene, right there God said, if you will humble yourself, I will exalt you by coming and dwelling inside of you. It's the best I can offer. It's the highest you can ever get. It's the most incredible thing that could ever be offered to you. And I say again, to my own detriment, or my own, I'm sorry about this, and also for your own sake, that we think any different indicates the amount of pride we still have left to root out. Now, I'm going to make an abrupt pause, an abrupt diversion. I'd like to do a little case study, a little look at some specific people, in fact, and specifically the disciples of Jesus. Where were they at with this whole humility thing? How were they doing? They walked with Jesus for three years. They were his closest confidants. They saw all the things that Jesus did. He taught them and told them more than he told anybody else. Uh, they, they, were, they, they had as much access as they possibly could to this meek and lowly Savior that God had sent, the one who had humbled himself. How were they doing? How did they receive? Did, did we see humility come out of these disciples at all? And if you look at them, you can, see some, you can see some cases where they did and some cases where they didn't. For example, Peter, when he met Jesus, said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, right? That's humility. But we also see where they argued with each other about who was the greatest, right? We also see when they began to bring children around, and he said, ah, get them out of here. Jesus didn't have time for them. So kind of both, and sometimes kind of both like really close together. For example, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus is asking, hey, who do people say I am? And then he follows it up by saying, who do you say I am? And Peter, of course, makes his big confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You know, that, that's an incredible admission and acknowledgement that Jesus is the anointed one. And they were there to understand. They had submitted themselves that we're here because you, we, we see you as 
that person. And then you know what happens next is a little bit of a head scratcher because you don't, I think it's only like six verses later, Jesus, in the meantime, between those six verses, Jesus starts to tell them of the humiliation he's going to go through. And Peter, the same guy that just said these words, turned around and says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. No longer so humble, right? No longer willing to accept whatever humiliation comes in the path because it's No way, not a chance. I just said you're the Messiah. There's not a chance we're going to allow that to happen or that you're going to allow it to happen. And at that point, Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Now, we understand that though they may have had times right or not right, we can clearly see by the time Jesus gave up his life and Jesus hung on a cross and died and Jesus was buried and even after Jesus came back to life, we still were left with a group of people that really didn't have it all together yet, right? Really, we're not sure. In fact, Peter's like, I think I'm going to go back fishing. I'm not sure what's going to go on. I'm not sure how to handle this. I'm not sure what to do. Still not sure what to do, I believe, with the humiliation that God would choose such a path for his son. Now, keep that there and then fast forward a bit. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, we read some amazing words. Because as the disciples begin boldly proclaiming Jesus and boldly preaching in his name, they get called in front of the religious authorities. They get chastised, told to stop. They go out and they do it some more. They get hauled back in again. They get threatened very, very firmly, very bodily threatened. And they leave. And in Acts 5, 41, we read, they left the presence of the council and they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So what I showed you before was a group of people that were rejecting the idea of any kind of humiliation for Jesus or his followers. And here we're reading of the same group of people that were suddenly rejoicing because they were able to suffer and be humiliated for the name of Jesus. So I ask you tonight, what happened in between? What happened from those guys to these guys? what? They received more of God. And specifically, I would say they received the presence of God. They received the power of God. What happened between was this wonderful event called Pentecost, which Jesus foretold when he, in Acts 1-8 when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the, excuse me, ends of the earth. That's what happened. The Holy Spirit came. They were filled with the presence of God. That changed them from people who were rejecting the idea of being humiliated in any way and became people who were rejoicing at the idea that they might be humiliated for the cause of Christ. So when I said we're going to take a quick diversion, we actually find the same conclusion at the end of both things I've talked about tonight. For when you will humble yourself before God and he will exalt you, what is that exaltation? It's more of him. It's his presence. It's his Holy Spirit. It's him dwelling in you. And when we look at the people, of the disciples of Jesus, and they went from rejection of humiliation to rejoicing at humiliation, what, what took them there was the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the impartation, the, the filling of who Jesus was, who God is. I tell you the same things. They're the same thing. It's the same answer which must lead us to the unmistakable conclusion that at the end 
of our quest for humility, if the Bible says we should become like Christ and humble, at the end of that request for humility, something has to happen. And that key something that has to happen is we have to die to ourselves, be emptied of ourself, emptied of ourself and filled with God, filled with his presence, filled with the Holy Spirit. Thus brings me to the next point we have to spend some time with. Perhaps the, the pinnacle or the, the, the final ending conclusion of the entire series since Sunday morning. Humility in the end is the key to dying and being made alive in Christ. And when we die to ourselves and are alive in Christ, we are filled with true holiness because his presence is dwelling inside of us. And when we're filled with true holiness because of his presence inside of us, then we begin to act in our daily life in a way that is humble and representative of Jesus himself. And in so doing, we are honoring him. We are bringing glory to him. We are vessels fitted for his purpose. And we're not only okay with that, we are happy for that. We are rejoicing at that. We are overjoyed that we could so represent our Lord and Savior. So it's all going to come down to this. It's going to come down to whether we are willing to say no to ourselves, to die to ourselves, to get me off the throne and say yes to Jesus, to being filled by him, to being controlled by him, to having him be everything inside of me. Again, I can tell you, scripture is very clear about this. Galatians 5.24, Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, those who belong to Christ let me read that again since I put a pause there. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. To the Romans, he wrote similar sounding words. If we've been united with him, with Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, you're picking up the same theme. Humility, exaltation. Crucified the flesh, resurrected with Jesus. Dying with Jesus, Resurrected with Jesus. It's all the same thing. A couple verses later, he says, you must consider yourself. You must think of yourself this way. And sometimes the crux of it is actually right here in this. God sees you as this way when you've received what Jesus has done. We sometimes don't see yourself this way. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. For some of us, for some of us, the work is in truly surrendering. And really saying, that's what I want. I want to die to myself and be alive in Christ Jesus. Everything is yours. For some of us, the work may not be so much that. It may be asking God to show us what we really look like, what we really are like when we are dead to ourselves. Because we've said it, we've wanted it, but we continue to hang on or continue to, uh, to want to work things out by ourselves. Paul would simply say, what began in the spirit, are you going to finish it in the flesh? Actually, just last night in a conversation with the, uh, with the guy after the service last night, uh, recognized that even when we're caught in that trap, it's a thing of pride, right? Because we're worried about how we're going to work all of it out and make sure that we're not going to make mistakes anymore and we're going to... That, <laughs> that's not... That's what Christ does inside of us. Remember, our job is to humble ourselves. His job is to exalt us. Our job is to die to ourselves, to, to lay down our will. His job is to raise us up and fill us with him so that we can do what he asks us to do. I remind you of the words that we talked about in James already. If you will humble yourself before the Lord, 
maybe I, should, I won't put the word if in front of it since that's not the way it's written. Humble yourselves before the Lord. It's a command, actually. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I don't often do this because I don't like doing stuff like this, but I found it so compelling how Andrew Murray phrased this subject and what he says, and I think he says it in a way that I can't just say it off the top of my head. So I think I'm just going to simply read you a snippet from his book. This is the book that I've been referring to. Several of you have gotten copies. I have more in order, so I'm going to get some more. If you want, want one, let me know. This is what he says. He says, humility leads to perfect death. Humility means giving up self, taking the place of perfect nothingness before God. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death. In death, he gave the highest and perfect proof of having given up his will to the will of God. In death, he gave up self with its natural reluctance to drink the cup. He gave up the life he had in union with our human nature. He died to self and the sin that tempted him. So as man, he entered into the perfect life of God. If it had not been for his boundless humility, counting himself as nothing except as a servant to do and suffer the will of God, he never would have died. This gives us the answer to the question so often asked and seldom clearly understood. How can I die to self? Listen to how he answers this. Death to self is not your work. It is God's work. In Christ, you are dead to sin. Your life has gone through the process of death and resurrection. But the full manifestation of the power of this death in your disposition and conduct depends upon the measure in which the Holy Spirit imparts the power of the death of Christ. And here it is that the teaching is needed. If you would enter into full fellowship with Christ in his death and know the full deliverance from self, humble yourself. This is your duty. Place yourself before God in your helplessness. Consent to the fact that you are powerless to slay yourself. Give yourself in patient and trustful surrender to God. Accept every humiliation. Look upon every person who tries or troubles you as a means of grace to humble you. God will see such acceptance as proof that your whole heart desires it. It is the path of humility that leads to the full and perfect experience of our death with Christ. I've used this line before, I think. I'm going to say it again tonight. The reason dying to ourselves so we can be made alive in Christ is so important is because we have to come face to face with the fact that pride is not going to root out pride. Our sinfulness is not going to take care of our sinfulness. We are not going to be able to pull this off. It's, in fact, the entire point of teaching on humility is for us to acknowledge I'm not going to be able to do this. So my duty is to lay myself before the Lord and say, I have nothing left, no agenda, no, like, none of what, of, I have nothing to bring to the table. That's a phrase I've used before. I am surrendering my will and putting myself before you. We'll talk about this in just a little bit again. So that you can take care of what I can't. You did through Jesus already, the salvation and the redemption, but I want it to be affected in my life. I want it to be taking place in my body, in me. I want the power of the Most High active in me. So I'm dying. I'm letting go. I'm considering myself nothing. 
so that you can come do what only you are going to be able to do. Which brings us to, got to find my clicker, brings us to the final section here that I, we want to spend time with tonight because we do have this opportunity, participating in Christ's death. This would have been the invitation regardless of whether we're taking communion tonight or not. I hope you understand that. But it just so happens in a beautiful way we, we get to participate in communion together because it is the participation in the death of Christ. But before we ever participate in any emblems anywhere out there, we have to walk through some things first. Because participation in the body of, and the death of Christ and the, and the resurrection of Christ aren't done through emblems on the outside. They're done through the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside. I'm excited to show you tonight as, I, as we walk through the things we would always walk through in communion to show you how much humility and how much our response to Jesus' humility is, is baked right into what Jesus did on the Passover night. Jesus, the king of the world, the creator of the world, the one who was going to be given the name above all names that every knee should bow, Jesus sat in front of his disciples. He had washed their feet. He had humbled himself before them. And then they sat down to a meal. And he said, I have been waiting eagerly for this. From the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Bread, which signifies the sustenance that God gives. Jesus had earlier said, we don't live by bread alone, but by the words that come from God. And he himself was the bread of life. He was the living word of God. Notice what he does. Notice carefully what he does. He takes bread. He gives thanks for it. He says, this is my body. This is representing me, my body, my human body. And he broke it. And he gave, he handed it out. He said, take, eat from this. You see very intentional humility, don't you? You also see a thankfulness, an acknowledgement to God that it is a privilege for him to have his body that God had prepared for him to have his body broken for the sake of those around him and for the sake of all people. Notice the last phrase. Do this in remembrance of me. A very familiar phrase when we come to communion time, right? And I dare say probably most times we simply leave that phrase at Jesus is telling us that we should continually participate in communion to remember what he's done. Not entirely incorrect, by the way, but look carefully what he just did. And I ask you, is he not giving you an invitation to follow the path that he's walking? I mean, literally, that's what he's doing, right? What does he mean when he says, do this? Eat some bread? No. He means... Recognize that God has given you a body. Give thanks to God for the body that he's given to you and allow it to be broken and given to those around you. What else could he mean? Because it's the path that we've talked about and bumped up into in every single passage I've read to you this week. Humility, exaltation. Death to self, alive in Christ. 
Very, very consciously, I beg of you tonight, very, very consciously, before you ever step close to a piece of bread that you're going to eat to signify your thanksgiving, what Jesus has done, would you please consider whether you are truly willing to look at God and say, thank you for the body you've given me. I don't know what you think about your body, but to tell him, thank you for the body that you've prepared for me. I see it as bread like Jesus did, and I'm willingly holding it to you to be broken and handed out to those around me. What else does participation in the death of Christ mean except for that? What else can it mean? How could you offer Jesus any less? We could do the same thing because the very next verse says, and likewise the cup after they had eaten and said, this cup is poured out for you. Sorry, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Even just thinking about the dynamics of the scene are instructive. Who's pouring? Who's doing the pouring? Who poured the cup out that they drank from? Jesus did. He poured himself out. And the invitation is still lingering in their ears. Do this in remembrance of me. Follow the same path that, I am that I'm walking down. Allow you willingly. Don't, don't. Don't make it be drug out of you like, I guess if, if this is what it requires, oh, 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 kicking and screaming, but willingly give thanks for the cup of, of suffering and humiliation for Jesus' sake that is before you and to say, I'm willingly going to pour this cup out, this lifeblood out of me, if that's what's required for my Savior. Because that's what he did for me. That's what he did for you. Again, I beg of you tonight, before you get close to a cup that you're going to drink, please consider that when you're doing that, this is in fact what you're saying. You're saying, I, Father, am willing to be poured out however you'd like it to be, even to the point of my life. I'm not trying to be like dramatic about it, but it's very clear that the, the cup represented blood, right? He says it right there. You remember Jesus said, don't be afraid of those people who can come. And even if they can kill you, don't be afraid of those people. But be afraid of the one who has the power to destroy your soul. Humility. Exaltation. Death. Resurrection. Death to self. Alive in Christ. It's all the same conversation. And the path to walk there is humility. Tonight, we're going to do communion a little bit differently because, partly because it fits in better with this, just partly because that we're going to. So let me give a couple of instructions about what we're going to do so that you're not left wondering. For some of you, this may be the first time you're celebrating communion with us, and we're delighted to have you with us. I don't know if it's been mentioned or not, but we practice an open communion here, which means if you have given your life to Christ, you are, and certainly if you're going to do it tonight, you are welcome to participate in communion with us. You don't have to be a member of the church here but what we're going to do here in a little bit, as soon as I get done giving instructions, is I'm gonna, we're going to have a response time. And I would, would, again, beg of you to consider what you're doing before you walk out to do what I'm going to say you should do. And I would give you full permission. No one will think any less of you. In fact, it might be the first and greatest statement of humility you can make. That if you're not ready to say that to Jesus, then maybe you shouldn't take part in communion tonight. That's okay. I think Jesus deserves our sincere worship.
and I think we ought not to make a mockery of participating in his death so that we might participate in his resurrection, be alive in him, if we don't actually mean it. So we're going to have a little time of response, and you can take as long as you want. If you want to come up here and pray, if you want to pray at your seats, I don't, again, you know me, I said it on Sunday night. To me, it's not about notches, about how many people come forward or anything. I, I'm not up to, it's, it's not up to me. It's up to the Holy Spirit. He's in charge of you, not me. So the question remains for us. Having said all that, the question remains for you. Are you in a place where you are ready to come to Jesus Maybe you've done it before, you're going to do it again, or maybe it's the first time, and you're ready to say, I understand dying to myself and pursuing humility in a way that's different than I have before, or in a, in, and just I understand it again, maybe, if that's the case, and that's what I want. I'm emptying myself. I want to become nothing so that you might become everything. I'm going to give us a chance. You can, res- you can respond. If you want. Again, if you want to walk up front, you can do that. If you want to pray where you're at, when you are ready, you can go participate in communion. And when you're done, just come back in here. Father, the reality is all of my words, all of even the stuff I've taught apart from your inspired words from the scriptures are just that. They're just my words. But the reality is, the reality is that you have declared in your word and have revealed through your word and through Jesus Christ, your son, the reality is that we are helpless before you. That though you designed us to be humble before you and to enjoy you and all of you that that we can take, we broke that because of our sinfulness. Chief among that is our pride, leading us to all kinds of other rebellion and sin. And I'm so grateful tonight. What a privilege for us tonight to commemorate, to acknowledge, to proclaim until Jesus comes back again that you have sent him once already. And when he came, he came as the Lamb of God. That he came as the sinless one, but he suffered for our sake. Our iniquity was laid upon him. Jesus, thank you so much. The grace that we have received from you in Jesus Christ is astounding, God. By grace we have been saved, not by works, so that none of us should boast. So tonight, tonight, we want to give ourselves to you again. We want to, whether we've done it once, a hundred times, a thousand times, or not at all, tonight, we want to give ourselves to you and perhaps in a more deep way than we ever have. Make me nothing so that you might be everything. The key, the key to living right before you, the key to salvation and living a redeemed life, the key to sanctification is your presence inside of me. So what I am asking tonight, God, is for you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Sweep clean that which is Merlin and fill with that which is you, God.
Thank you for this opportunity tonight, God, to contemplate these things, to respond to these things, and then to walk out and say, Jesus, I'm with you. I hide myself in you. I'm dead to myself. I'm considering myself dead to sin and alive to you, God, in Christ Jesus. Lift me up. Set my mind on things above. My heart on things above where you are, Jesus Christ. For my life is hidden with you. Thank you, God, for the time, the space, the ability for us to have this. This time with you. Help us to not, to not let it slip away. Thank you, Father. Again, church, I'm just going to be quiet now. I invite you to respond however you'd like to. And when you're ready for communion and foot washing, you can do so.